Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to The Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canaan. The four-year anniversary of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting is coming up on Monday. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about school safety with the father of one of the victims. He's president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. So I hope you stick around and keep with us for that discussion. But first up, we're going to take another look at the USF Forest Preserve. Joining us now by Zoom is Dr. Jeannie Munger, a member of Save USF Forest Preserve. She recently earned her doctorate degree from the Department of Integrative Biology at USF. She's also on the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee, which has just come up with recommendations for the area that includes the forest preserve and a golf course. Welcome back to WMS Tuesday Cafe, Jeannie. Thank you for having me. So glad you could join us. Uh, so before we get too deep into the show, some people might not know about the USF Forest Preserve. Where is it and why do you think it's ecologically and academically important? It is located just north of the main USF Tampa campus across the street from that campus on Fletcher Avenue. And it abuts Lettuce Lake Park uh, as well as the USF golf course that's known as the Claw. It is about 700 or so acres, 650 acres, depending on how you slice it, of uh, imperiled habitats, predominantly wetland, but also imperiled sandhill habitat, and some of the last sandhill habitat remaining in Hillsborough County. And it boasts an incredible diversity of wildlife, uh, both plant and animal. Um, several gopher tortoises live there, among other endangered and threatened species. And this last year, the university put out this request for, um, it wasn't proposals necessarily, it was just a request for information about what might they do with this property. And some developers wrote, wrote up proposals for it. And so as a result of all of that, there, there was formed this North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee. And you were selected as one of the student members of that committee. What brought that committee about and how are you involved? Well, I think what brought that committee about was uh, former President Stephen Curl stepping down from his post and the Board of Trustees uh, appointing now interim President Law um, to serve in his position. And I think President Law has done a nice job um, taking this matter up and taking it into consideration. Um, in addition to forming this North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee, she also had an independent ecological assessment conducted on both the forest preserve and the adjacent golf course to ascertain its ecological value. And essentially the charge of this committee was to review that document and provide recommendations about both of these parcels, which collectively are known as the North Fletcher property. And they recently, maybe as recently as Friday, came up with their draft recommendations and they sent those to USF's interim president, Ria Law, on Friday. Um, what were some of those recommendations that were in, in what they recommended? Sure, so the recommendations that were specific to the forest preserve, were um, to hire a full-time facilities manager for not just the forest preserve, but two other uh, green spaces that are 
on the USF campus, and that would be the Botanical Garden and what we call the Geopark, which is not well known to most people, but it is a piece of land that is used by several departments for teaching and research on the campus proper. Um, in addition to that, the recommendation stated that um, a more formalized forest preserve advisory board uh, should come under the purview of the College of Arts and Sciences. Um, so the College of Arts and Sciences already has um, sort of jurisdiction, if you will, over the forest preserve and botanical garden and the geopark. Um, but I think that uh, in previous years, the forest preserve has not been sort of its status has not been well elevated. I'll say that. And so this idea is then to uh, use the College of Arts and Sciences to kind of elevate its profile and make sure that um, both the university and the community are aware that this, uh, this place is here. Going back to the facilities manager that they recommend, that's something that you've been advocating for as long as I've been talking to you about this, that you think that there should be somebody in charge of kind of protecting this, this place. Yes, that's absolutely true. And that recommendation uh, predates me by several decades, actually. Um, the integrative biology department produced a white paper, I believe in 2001, which called for a similar sort of land manager post to be created to oversee the forest preserve. And so in my esteem, having this in the recommendation, and as I understand it, Dean Eric Eisenberg is very willing to um, release funding for this full-time facilities manager. This, this is a big win. Um, you know, aside from the immediate threats of development, not managing the ecosystems properly can also be a death sentence for them. And in this, uh, I just want to remind people that we're speaking with Dr. Jeannie Munger. She's a member of Save USF Forest Preserve. She also is on the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee. And it's just come up with recommendations for the area that includes the forest preserve that's north of campus and a golf course that's north of campus. And so we're talking right now about those recommendations. And in that this document, it says that USF's decisions about properties, here's a quote, should effectively weigh and balance the benefits of developing revenue revenue generating projects with the preservation of natural areas. Um, people were kind of um, wondering if that was a priority when we heard, first heard about this uh, request for ideas, request for, for some you know, thoughts about what to do with this property. Was this university just interested in making money or was it also interested in protecting the environment? And so this rec in, in these recommendations, it kind of weighs in heavily that, that protecting it as nature seems to be an important thing. Yes, and in addition to the recommendation document, we also produced a guiding principles document. And the purpose of that document um, was so that any future development interests or ideas that might take place on USF properties would take not just the ecological value of the space into consideration, but also its cultural value. It's well known that across the Tampa campus, including on the golf course, and of course in the forest preserve, that there are um, not just indigenous burial grounds, but also significant archeological sites. And so uh, taking those things in cons into consideration before development takes place is um, what we are asking for. And we're asking for the university to do that 
in the future, not just on these properties, but any property. Um, so I think that that is a, an important aspect of, of these recommendations that we've provided. Um, some of my concerns are that, you know, in this interest to, interest to balance uh, sort of the economic needs of the university that uh, this recommendation has not uh, strongly enough called for protection of this forest preserve specifically. And you said yesterday you wrote a letter to President Law, and that was in your words to formally enter into the record my dissent of the re recommendation provided to you by this committee. You said that, in maybe the, I'm paraphrasing what you just told us uh, here, is that you said it does not adequately address long-term protections, and so you think that as as uh, much as they talk about protecting the environment here in this document, there's not enough that's being done to protect it yet. So what else would need to be done? Yeah, that's correct. I think uh, I'll, I'll start by saying this, that I know that many other people on the committee have a lot of faith in the university as an institution. I have less faith personally, uh, given that uh, the university is the institution that brought forth the, this RFI in the first place. And it wasn't the first time the university had eyed this space for development interests. Uh, so my my opinion is that um, a conservation easement or some other legal document is the only way to truly protect this space in the future. Um, leaving it up to the university solely to, you know, continue to sort of balance these economic needs with natural spaces, I think, I think leaves the door open for this conversation to take place again in the future, particularly as more and more development occurs in the surrounding area, there will only be more uh, sort of interest in carving up this last remaining wild area. Um, and so what I have called for, and this is what I've called for from the very beginning of this uh, this this fight to protect the preserve is for an easement to be placed on it. We're speaking with Dr. Jeannie Munger, a member of the Save USF Forest Preserve, also part of the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee. That committee just came up with its recommendations for the area that includes the forest preserve and a golf course that's north of the USF Tampa campus. So Jeannie, and I want to remind people also that you're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canan. This is the Tuesday Cafe. And, and Jeannie, the, this conservation easement that you were pushing for, I, what were the discussions like? Did you bring that up in the committee and uh, was there pushback and how did that go? Yes, uh, I brought it up several times, and what I found really was uh, kind of a refusal from other committee members to even take up the discussion in earnest. Um, when we first convened the committee, we had one meeting that exclusively discussed the forest preserve, and then the the remaining meetings really focused on the golf course, which you know, understandably is a little bit more of a nuanced issue because it is a space that has already been developed to a certain extent. And so, you know, weighing the the economic benefits of development with, with natural spaces is, is a bit more, um, you know, fine grained. Uh, but I was 
very disheartened by the lack of discussion of the forest preserve specifically and by the lack of discussion of uh, a conservation easement. The discussion that did take place, uh, essentially the we were told that the university doesn't have the purview to place a conservation easement on the property. And this is because USF leases the land from the state of Florida. And so in order for a conservation easement to be placed on the property, we would need legislative approval. So we would have to go to the state of Florida and ask them to change the law in order to put this easement on the property. Uh, however, it's not unprecedented for uh, land trust like Conservation Florida, for instance, to partner with a university to place a conservation easement on a piece of uh, property that's in university holding but owned by the state of Florida. In fact, the University of Central Florida has just such an arrangement. Um, so I was a little disheartened by, like I said, the lack of discussion about this as an option, particularly because in the ecological assessment that was conducted by height design, this is the assessment that was contracted by uh, interim president law, they actually recommend a conservation easement for portions of the forest preserve. Um, so I felt like, like I said, the discussion was not, not sufficient. In the letter that you, the dissent letter that you sent to USF President Law yesterday, uh, the recommendation that you were talking about by that uh, design company said a conservation easement would be an appropriate measure for lands of such great ecological significance. That's correct. Yes, they specifically refer to the the wetlands, uh, but also there is reference within that ecological assessment that. Um, you know, denotes the significance of the other areas, the upland areas specifically that are Sandhill. Dr. Jeannie Munger is a member of Save USF Forest Preserve and was part of the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee. It came up with its recommendations for the area that includes the forest preserve and a golf course. We've, we started to talk about the golf course. We'll definitely come back to that in just a second. I want to do that. But uh, one of the things that it, this recommendation, this that the recommendations that this committee put out, it talked about some improvements that could happen to the property, like research and teaching facilities and I uh, and some boardwalks. Would you favor things like uh, buildings and research and teaching facilities and boardwalks on the on the property of the USF Forest Preserve? Uh, yes, with a huge asterisk next to it. Uh, so I think that uh, elevated boardwalks might be a really great idea to, uh, you know, make portions of the forest preserve more accessible to students and more accessible to certain kinds of research. Uh, I think as well that we actually do have um, some larger uh, well, I don't want to say large, they're not that big. Um, we do have some, some research uh, items within the forest preserve currently. So I don't think a small research outbuilding would be a significant detriment to the ecosystem there. Um, but I would be very hesitant to increase our footprint on the preserve, given that it's actually a fairly small piece of land, the upland area specifically, um, and given the sensitivity of those uplands. 
And the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee's recommendations also said that the USF Forest Preserve likely provides a simultaneous opportunity for wetland mitigation. So wait a second, is, are, are we talking about um, keep, keeping this, these wetlands pure in order to allow some developer somewhere else to destroy wetlands? Well, that is what mitigation banking is. And uh, in earlier drafts of our recommendation, we actually specifically stated that we did not agree with mitigation banking. And I was incredibly disappointed to find that the final draft included a recommendation for mitigation banking, but not for a conservation easement. Uh, In case people aren't aware, um, just like you said, Sean, mitigation banking sounds good It sounds like we're restoring wetlands or we're preserving wetlands, but what it actually means is that uh, potentially a developer can develop on more pristine uh, ecosystems and then preserve a more denuded wetland for restoration. But that isn't exactly uh, a gain, a net gain uh, for ecosystems in Florida. Our guest is Dr. Jeannie Munger. She's a member of the Save USF Forest Preserve. She was also part of the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee. It has just released, it has sent its recommendations to the president of USF for the area that includes the Forest Preserve and a golf course. And of course, you can follow all of our coverage of this issue on WMNF.org. And so getting to the question of what to do with the golf course that's adjacent to this USF Forest Preserve, as you mentioned, yes, there's been development there. It's not a natural habitat. But when considering development, the committee says of particular concern are effects on the hydrology of the adjoining areas, for example, surface and groundwater connections. So what would be, I know know that I'm asking a loaded question, but so what? If they take a golf course and they put condos on this golf course, that won't, will that hurt anything? Uh, Yes. And in fact, I, again, was a little disappointed that our recommendation didn't give more specific concerns. Um, Certainly hydrology is a main, a very predominant issue. Anytime you build on on a piece of property, particularly one that might be adjacent to wetlands, you run the risk of altering the surrounding hydrology. And so when we talk about the hydrology of the USF Forest Preserve, we don't just mean sort of this piece of property in isolation. We're talking about the Cypress Creek tributary that flows into the Hillsborough River. And so uh, more intensive development that might occur on the golf course could have significant impacts to the hydrology of that creek and to the hydrology of the Hillsborough River. Um, In addition to that, and these are these are parts that didn't get didn't make it into the recommendation, you run the risk of, you know, accelerating invasive species encroachment, specifically plant species. Uh, Oftentimes these developed lands, the the sort of buffer between the developed lands and the non-developed lands uh, include a lot of invasive species. And the more you intensely develop them, the more those invasive species can encroach into these more natural areas. You know, in addition to this, a significant part of that golf course is used as refugia for wildlife. And it's used as part of this wildlife corridor that we have shown stretches from the Cypress Creek floodplain all the way to the Green Swamp. And uh, eliminating some of those upland areas will have consequences for the animals that use that area to traverse that corridor. 
Our guest is Dr. Jeannie Munger, a member of the Save USF Forest Preserve. Jeannie was also part of the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee. It has just come up with recommendations for the area that includes the Forest Preserve and a golf course that's adjacent to it. These are north of Fletcher Avenue in um, uh, near the Tampa campus. And in the document, the committee recommended that the university give full consideration to development and improvement projects that appropriately balance revenue generating interests and fiscal responsibilities with the aspirations, goals, and values espoused by the university and guided by the principles established and referenced herein and also that it should enlist participation of faculty. So you talked about those guiding principles and you said how that was a, a helpful document, a useful and, and um, you know, a true document, but it still sounds like the fact that there, that it, there, it, this really leaves the door open for future development, especially where that golf course is, um, you know, as long as, the, as long as they make enough revenue to make it worthwhile is how I'm reading it. Yes, I think that that's a fair reading. Uh, and I think that certainly given, given the state of the golf course, uh, you know, the unit and, and given the state of development in the surrounding area, I think the university is absolutely eyeing that piece of property for future developments. Um, what that might look like, it, it's impossible for me to say personally. Um, I think that, uh, you know, my sort of pie in the sky uh, idealistic thinking was that we could do something a lot more sort of progressive with that piece of property and keep it a green space and keep it accessible to students um, without having a high impact on the surrounding area. Um, there are several key documents that have been um, adopted by the city of Tampa and Hillsborough County that talk about things like um, a lack of tree canopy, heat island effect, um, all the problems associated with losing green spaces in urban areas. And so, uh, you know, certainly I'm, I'm very disappointed that the university isn't thinking more uh, sustainably and progressively about what can be done on the golf course to keep it a green space. Well, I, um, I'm going to pull one that you might you might not be ready for this one so if you don't want to answer no problem but uh on a personal note you're off on a new adventure in your professional life uh do you want to tell people uh, where you'll be coming up next sure yes i accepted a uh, postdoctoral research position at the university of turku in finland and i will be studying how climate change is impacting plant microbe interactions at the poles well, even though you're there, it's possible I'll still reach out to you to, to talk about the USF Forest Preserve or if you have any other uh, interesting research that you want to share with our listeners here in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, but before I let you go, where can people find out more about the USF Forest Preserve? Sure, you can uh, visit saveusfforestpreserve.com. And from there, you can find all of our uh, social media handles as well as uh Friends of University Natural Areas, which is a nonprofit uh, myself and other co-organizers of Save USF Forest Preserve have formed uh, to uh, provide ecological stewardship, education, and advocacy for not just the forest preserve, but other lands in uh, university holdings. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Jeannie. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Jeannie Munger is a member of Save USF Forest Preserve and was part of the North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee, which has just come up with recommendations for the area that includes the Forest Preserve and a golf course. You can see all of our coverage on this issue on WMNF.org.
In a moment, we're going to be joined by our next guest, the president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. As we approach the four-year anniversary of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, Please stay with us. We'll be right back after this short music break on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan. You're listening to 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. Tony, welcome back to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan. Next Monday is the four-year anniversary of the killing spree at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in South Florida. 17 people were shot to death and 17 sustained physical injuries. In this segment, we're going to talk about efforts to make schools safer. My guest is Tony Montalto, president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. Welcome to WMNF, Tony. Hi, how are you, Sean? Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, yeah thanks so much for coming in this uh, solemn time of the four-year anniversary. First, I, I, if you don't mind sharing your personal story, your 14-year-old daughter, Gina, was one of the students killed. Tell our audience about Gina. 
Well, Gina was our firstborn. She was a uh, fantastic young lady. Um, she uh, was a great daughter, uh, excellent uh, big sister to her brother, Anthony. And um, she was, you know, had a personality that could light up a room. Uh, she had a bright smile. She was often the first one to go to a new kid in the neighborhood and say hi and, and invite them to be her friend. And uh, she was a Girl Scout. She volunteered in our church, in a church group. And uh, she also uh, was a member of the, uh, of the color guard team uh, that worked with the marching band as they won the uh, 2017 state championship. So uh, she really enjoyed doing that. She was an A student in school. And um, just, we miss her very much each day. So tell us what is Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools? So Stand with Parkland is our uh, advocacy group that was formed by the families that lost a a loved one that terrible day nearly four years ago. Um, We realized that the status quo wasn't working. So we came together to try and change things. And uh, we look at school safety and security in a little bit more of a, uh, a holistic way. We look at it in terms of our uh, school safety triad, which is enhanced campus security, uh, better mental health screening and support programs. And finally, if you choose to own one, responsible firearms ownership. All three of those things failed us that terrible day. And all three of those things push and pull on one another to work on the safety of our students and teachers at school. And I want to remind people that the the guest we have is Tony Montalto, president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. We'll talk about those goals that you have, um, including uh, one of your Florida advocacy goals for 2022 is securing the the school campus and that you're, you're planning on trying to do that by securing the perimeter of schools and also having minimum safety standards for schools. What, what would that entail? What would that look like? Um, well, we've seen great improvement in this process. Uh, first of all, let me just say that uh, Florida has done a great job of, uh, of changing the laws to, uh, to reflect this, but we need a, a single point of entry uh, every day while the children are at school. Um, We need to know who's on our campus the same way we control access to our federal buildings, our government buildings, uh, our airports. Um, We need that. And we have seen great improvement. Um, You know, as far as minimum safety standards, you know, that's uh, it's a combination of a federal and a state effort. And, um, you know, things are different for each community. So one of the things we've done, uh, in, uh, in Washington is we went up there and we helped create the uh, Federal Clearinghouse of Best Practices. Um, and that information can be accessed through schoolsafety.gov. And uh, what this is, it's an all of government approach. It brings together the uh, Department of uh, Justice, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Education. All help curate this site which contains everything from information on how to help control the spread of COVID to how to change the culture and climate in your school so that children feel safe and they don't feel the need to bring a weapon, um, as well as having uh, 
uh, a readiness test and other things to check your, uh, your plans for an active assailant. And if anything is found uh, deficient in there, it has links to federal documents from any of those four agencies to help you cure the deficiency. In addition, in completing its mission as a one-stop shop for people looking for school safety information, it has links to federal grant programs to help pay for the, to fix the deficiencies that are found. So um, we're really proud to have worked with, uh, with the, uh, both administrations, the Trump administration and now the Biden administration on continuing the, uh, the vital work of, of schoolsafety.gov and the, and the clearinghouse. Our guest joining us by Zoom this morning is Tony Montalto, president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. You're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. It's 1038 in the morning. I'm Sean Canan. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. And Tony, so we talked about um, your goal of securing the school campuses, but you also, your group also uh, is very concerned about mental health screening and support programs. And let's talk about one particular initiative you have in Florida. You would like to amend Senate Bill 1404 to include a school district mental health coordinator. So tell us what is what would that mental health coordinator do and why that's a priority for you? Well, this uh, this position uh, came from a meeting with Stanworth Parkland representatives, uh, Chair Latvala from the House uh, Education Committee, Chair Gruders from the Senate Education Committee, and um, also with... Uh, uh, Bob Galtieri, the chairman of the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Commission. And as we were reviewing the outstanding uh, or remaining um, items on the, uh, on the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, list from the Public Safety Commission, we realized that uh, there's no one person uh, coordinating the care of children who are receiving uh, mental health services from our schools. Um, and this is uh, particularly uh, concerning because we saw these silos of information be so deadly here in Parkland when nobody was keeping an eye on all the services that this shooter was receiving. Um, so we realized that just like in the, in, we made a school safety specialist position within each district, we feel that each district needs to have a mental health coordinator. And this person is, is making sure that the students who are receiving services are on track to get the, to become the best citizens they could be. For some, it might be a short stay in the program, then they go back to the mainstream. For others, they may, may need some form of alternate education to help them succeed as best as possible. Um, and most importantly, we hope that this position will allow uh, someone to uh, also double check on the progress that's being made by students who've gone through a behavioral threat assessment. Um, we know that the behavioral threat assessment with a multidisciplinary team that includes school professionals, uh, mental health professionals, and law enforcement is a great way to proactively stop kids who are exhibiting uh, troubling behavior, right? And it's, it's not any kind of profiling. It's based on the behavior that they demonstrate. And the object is to get them the help they need before they resort to violence. So um, we're hopeful that uh, once this coordinator position is, is taken, that they will uh, provide a quarterly report to both the school district superintendent and to the Office of Safe Schools in Tallahassee of the progress of children that have gone through a uh, behavioral threat assessment so they don't slip through the cracks. 
continuing on the, on the discussion of mental health screening and support programs. So even if there is this school district mental health coordinator, well, that person would be coordinating others. Would, and how, does, how do the school districts rate as far as having the correct number of school mental health counselors? Is that a deficiency that could be corrected just by hiring more for maybe one for each school or is more than one needed? How is Florida doing when it comes to school mental health counselors? Well, in terms of the number of mental health counselors, uh, Florida is not doing well, uh, and we are not uh, unique in that. Uh, there's a shortage of school mental health counselors uh, throughout the nation, um, uh, and uh, we know that the governor this year in his budget request has put in some more money to uh, increase the availability of, uh, of mental health services and counselors. Um, we worked with the uh, U.S. Secret Service and their National Threat Assessment Center. And when they put out their report in 2019 on protecting America's schools, um, it showed that um, more than likely there is a uh, increased uh, opportunity for a, some kind of targeted school violence after a prolonged absence, whether it be a suspension, whether it be an expulsion, um, uh, or whether it be some type of vacation, or as we've seen with COVID, uh, you know, a, a long absence. So we know that uh, having more mental health counselors and having more people aware is is vital. And uh, we're happy to see that the governor put more money into the budget for that. We're also uh, took some more of the Stillman Douglas recommendations, and uh, we put those into House Bill 899 and uh, its companion Senate Bill uh, 1240. And um, both of those are actually talking about the, uh, both of those actually provide more information about services that are available. So if a student's receiving mental health services from the school, uh, we then go in and um, let their family know about other services that are available, not just, for, not just from within the school, but within the community. Um, additionally, should during the evaluation process, we see that uh, maybe someone else in the household could benefit from other services. Um, we also make, uh, we compel the, uh, the, the school districts now to uh, let that family member know about other services that are available for them. The students don't live in a vacuum and we have to start addressing these wraparound services to uh, make the family as healthy as it possibly can be. Our guest is Tony Montalto, president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota. My name is Sean Canan. I'm the host of Tuesday Cafe, and we're speaking with Tony about school safety, increasing the safety of schools in Florida and elsewhere. And uh, on, on still on the topic of mental health screening and support programs, these behavioral threat assessment teams, what do they do and um, how would increasing funding help help you help schools become more safe? Well, it's important that if a student's exhibiting uh, any of the constellation of behaviors that uh, are concerning, and uh, those can be found in the uh, 2019 uh, Protecting America Schools report that's uh, available on our website at uh, standwithparkland.org on our resources page. Um, but if a student's exhibiting any of those signs, um, it's important to have early intervention. Again, to come in and, and 
address the problems that the student's feeling before we get to uh, a time where they need to act out in a violent manner to hurt either themselves or to hurt others. Um, it's a great way to find the students that are having a difficult time and connect them with the services that are that are out there. Um, and it works across, uh, you know, all schools for all students. Um, so keeping those teams intact and, and providing, again, their multi multidisciplinary nature, bringing in not only our schools, which are, you know, doing a lot of things and in some cases might be overtaxed, but let's bring in the mental health professionals so they can add their point of view. And finally, we bring in law enforcement, not to arrest, not to punish, not to stigmatize, but to actually find a way to intervene and have a positive outcome long before it becomes necessary to use any law enforcement powers or long before harm is done to the student or anyone else. And Tony Montalto with Stand with Parkland, one of the things you mentioned earlier is that your group, one, one tenant it, it is um, advocating for is responsible firearms ownership. So one aspect of that is enhanced background checks. Why do you think that that would um, help and how, would, how specifically could that help to reduce uh, gun violence or at least make schools safer? Well, again, the firearms piece is part of the tragedy, right? It was the weapon of choice here in Parkland. Uh, we also saw it just recently, uh, a firearm used to murder students up in uh, Oxford County, Michigan. Um, we need to find a way to uh, control access to these as best as possible. There's always going to be criminality and, and, and other things. The Second Amendment is alive and well, and we're not out to change that. But what we are out to change is who has access to firearms. And we think that we need firearms to be in the hands of responsible owners. Uh, what that is to us is, again, you're subject to a background check before you purchase Um we were able to get the Fix NICS Act passed nationally uh, back in 2018, and that addressed some deficiencies in the background check uh, system, um, especially regarding military discharges. Um, more work needs to be done on that, um, but we do need to also to prevent things like straw man purchases at gun shows, where somebody who has a clean background goes in, buys a weapon, and then hands it off right away to uh, somebody who was, wasn't eligible. Um, these are these are some also top priorities of, of law enforcement is to get these things uh, tightened up. Um, but we do not um, we're, we don't want to make this a debate just about firearms. Right. And uh, again, it's part of the problem. And these um, pragmatic steps are, uh, are very important. You mentioned the straw man purchases, but what about just any kind of private sale loophole? Is that something that you're targeting as well? Um, well, uh, private sale loopholes aren't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, again, we think everybody who buys a weapon should go through a background check. Um, so we need to find a way to make that happen. There's some, been some innovative ideas about that, such as requiring a purchaser's license or something like that. But uh, we don't have all the answers, but we know where there's a problem and we try and uh, bring together people who will be able to have discourse and listen to one another and uh, then find a compromise position and a pragmatic solution that we can bring to our leaders to make policy changes or to make uh, 
changes in law as necessary. I want to remind people that our guest is Tony Montalto, president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. If you'd like to weigh in on this conversation, you can email us at dj at wmnf.org. You can also send a text to 813-433-0885 or call 813-239-9663. So Tony Montalto, president of Stand with Parkland, uh, the... um, We talked earlier about making school campuses secure and securing the perimeter and so forth, but there are firearms that can circumvent school security systems. What are those like and what are ways that we can prevent that? Um, Well, we need to work on, uh, you know, controlling the uh, printing of uh, 3D weapons. Um, We need to uh, have a way to, uh, again, not stop responsible owners from having firearms, but to stop people that are trying to circumvent the laws designed to keep weapons into the hands of responsible owners. Um, we saw here in Florida shortly after we were able to pass the uh, a red flag law as part of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act. Um, that law uh, provides important due process protections while at the same time allowing law enforcement to investigate complaints, to uh, have judges uh, rule that uh, weapons must be removed from somebody who's deemed a threat to themselves or others. And then within 14 days of that, there's a hearing to determine whether the uh, ban becomes uh, permanent, which means out to a year, or uh, or there, an error has been made and the weapon should be returned. Um, we saw law enforcement visit the Parkland shooter over 40 times, and they had no ability to remove any firearms from him. Um, Had this law been in place before 2018, there's a good chance that my wonderful daughter, Gina, and those 16 other wonderful souls would still be alive today. Just a reminder that our guest is Tony Montalto, president of Stand With Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. The four-year anniversary of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting is coming up on Monday, Valentine's Day, of course. So, Tony, you're advocating for specific legislation. We've talked a little bit about some of it. In the Florida legislature, we we talked about HB 899, which uh, deals with the mental health of students, which the companion bill is Senate Bill 1240. But there's another one that deals with school counselors, SB 1404, which is um, the companion bill is HB 941. What would SB 1404 do? Well, um, it has numerous uh, things that identify what a school counselor should be doing and what they should not be doing. Uh, We've seen an alarming trend in taking uh, school counselors and thinking they're not doing anything. So they've been given duties like lunch hall monitor or test proctor. And, um, you know, that takes away from their primary function, which is helping the students. So that's the the basis of that bill. But also, um, we believe that uh, that was the vehicle we wanted to attach our, uh, our school, uh, uh, mental school district, uh, mental health coordinator to, um, we think that that would be a, a natural fit into that program, uh, and that bill. So we're, we're hopeful to see those gain some traction um, and pass. Where do those stand right now? Is that, have, have they been heard in committee? 
Uh, I believe uh, they're being scheduled to be heard on their on their first stops. Um, we're working closely with uh, Senator Chevron Jones, uh, who, uh, of course, is from down here in Broward and, and, and a great supporter of school safety uh, to make sure that uh, 1404 gets some uh, movement in the Senate. And another bill that you're following is Senate Bill 802, which companion is HB 1421, and that's about school safety. If passed, what would that do? Senate Bill 802, uh, again, was uh, a bill that we worked on when we had the meeting here in Parkland uh, between the the education chairs and and Bob Galtieri and Stand with Parkland. Um, We looked again at at the outstanding and remaining uh, recommendations from the Stoneman Douglas Commission. Of course, that commission has been working on this for for over three years. So some of the stuff was, uh, was already taken into account, already passed in the law. But what we tried to do is capture some of the important things that are uh, that are uh, remaining, and uh, those include things like reunification plans uh, when there is a tragedy. Our family suffered greatly through a botched and unplanned reunification plan that had some of us sitting in rooms till the wee hours of the night, and as they would pull a family out, we would hear the screams of anguish of uh, families as they were told that their children were murdered at school. Um, We need to have something a little bit better than that. Also, it was an extremely chaotic scene when they set it up. And uh, as uh, many of the first responders who we've dealt with after Parkland have said, um, you shouldn't be shaking hands with uh, the school district people or the the townspeople uh, or the, the leaders in the town at the emergency site. You need to have uh, communication and planning. So that's one of the important things in there. Another piece is uh, providing penalties for knowingly making a false report to our Fortify Florida uh, tip app. Um, As we know, these apps are so important because um, studies, again, by the Secret Service and the National Threat Assessment Center have shown that uh, there usually is some kind of informational leakage, some kind of, of information that, that gets out prior to these attacks and providing students a way to uh, tell us and tell law enforcement what they've heard, providing a way for parents to be involved and um, be aware of the things that are going on is, uh, is so important. So that's included uh, in there. Um, we also have, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, ways to make sure that uh, the armed individuals who are on campus and so necessary, whether they be school resource officers or whether they be armed guardians, we need them to be trained properly. So this addresses that in in two forms. And uh, first it lays out uh, guidelines for those who attend guardian training. And next it uh, clarifies and mandates that each school safety officer must attend vitally important crisis intervention training. Um, And then finally, one of the last things it does, which is one of the most important, is it ensures the fidelity of this behavioral threat assessment process that we've talked about by ensuring that uh, school professionals, mental health professionals, and law enforcement are all involved in every step of the process and in the decision about what to do with the student finally. 
Our guest is Tony Montalto, president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe on WMNF. I'm Sean Canan. Those were three of the bills that are that he, their group is following in the Florida legislature. I want to read a quick email that came in from Raina. It says, hello, I first want to thank Mr. Montalto and the whole group for continuing their activism. I was a high school senior in Broward the year it happened, and there's still trauma there. However, my sister is a high school student in Broward now, and to this day is being traumatized by continued activism active shooting drills meant to keep students safe police with their guns drawn at students how do you how should we balance the efficiency of school safety with the mental health of school students when it comes to these active shooter drills so uh thanks for the question uh, first of all we realize that uh, the drill schedule is not optimum right now uh but let's uh let's first be clear that these drills need to happen uh the drills should be age appropriate the drills should uh, should include students as well as teachers, um, and there should be a follow up, a debriefing, to alert everyone to what went well during that drill, as well as to identify areas that were deficient and improve them. Stoneman Douglas had training for their teachers six short weeks before the shooting, and yet. The teacher in my daughter's classroom, instead of sending her to the media center where she needed some quiet to do a project she was working on, put her on the wrong side of the locked classroom door. And that's where she was killed. And because of Gina and Luke Hoyer and uh, Martin Duque being murdered and piled up against that door, Everyone else in that classroom was spared. But how did the teacher not do the right thing? How did the teacher not know to keep Gina in a safe environment? Um, we also saw some teachers not react properly during the shooting. And uh, that's why the students need to be involved. So long-winded answer, but getting back to the, the timing in, of these uh, drills, we are addressing that actually in Senate Bill 802, where uh, it will take the uh, requirement for drills out of uh, statute and put them in the hands of the uh, State Department of Education so they can be evaluated, um, many of which have already been recommended on a, an adjusted frequency uh, by the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission and their expert testimony and uh, compilation of, uh, of recommendations. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe today, Tony. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, again, for more information, you can uh, take a look at our website, which is uh, standwithparkland.org. Uh, we'd love for you to join up. Um, we have information on important bills that are coming down the pike and ask you to take action. If you like what you see, you fill out your information and uh, just hit send. We'll take care of the rest for you. Um, of course, uh, we also have a list on our of resources. And Tony Montalto is president of Stand with Parkland, the National Association of Families for Safe Schools. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. 